Okay, you can be opening up your Bibles to Colossians chapter 2, and we'll be looking at a few scriptures from there this morning. <clears throat> of course, if you've been with us the last few weeks, I'm going to put these, I'm going to put these candy marks right over here. Don't let me forget them. All right. If you've been with us the last few weeks, you know we've been studying in, in the letter to Colossae. Colossae was a city in, uh, what is it, what would be called southwestern Turkey now. It was uh, Asia Minor, uh, what's considered Asia Minor at the time. And of course we talked about how it was in a kind of a tri-city area with Laodicea and Hierapolis and how there were churches that had been established in each of those cities. And Paul had probably not done that. He was not, he was not the guy who went and established that congregation there. It was probably, probably Epaphras, as mentioned in the letter. And he's hearing about their great love, their great faith, their great steadfastness in the faith from Epaphras, who apparently is a prisoner with him, a prisoner of the faith. And so we're gonna re we've read a lot about Paul's um, love for them, even though he doesn't even know them personally, the love for them because of that common bond that we have as brethren, right, that we have as Christians. We have that common bond that we can love people we don't even know. That's an awesome thing, isn't it? Through that common bond of Christianity, of the brotherhood. Last week, right at the end of chapter 1, we read a couple of verses that Paul said. In verse, chapter 1, verse 28, he said, Him we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect in Jesus Christ. To this end I also labor, striving according to his working, which works in me mightily. Paul's saying, I'm trying to present you to Christ as mature Christian brethren, brothers and sisters. The spirituality that's perfect, that's matured, that's grown. And this being the case, we're not surprised to find what Paul writes about to the Colossians in the next few verses. That, that's his primary goal, right? To not only preach the gospel, save the lost, but to present them as mature Christians to God. Let's continue to read in chapter 2 there. Uh, verse 1. For I want you to know what a great conflict I have for you and those in Laodicea. And for as many as have not seen my face in the flesh, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, and attaining to all riches of the full assurance of understanding to the knowledge of the mystery of God, both of the Father and of Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Now this I say, lest anyone should deceive you with persuasive words, for though I am absent in the flesh, yet I am with you in the Spirit, rejoicing to see your good order, and the steadfastness of your faith in Christ. As you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, as you have been taught, abounding in it with thanksgiving. Beware, lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit, according to the tradition of men, according to the basic principles of the world, and not according to Christ. Those are some powerful words right there. Powerful words that Paul is sending to the brethren at Colossae, who he has not met personally, but he knows them in the faith. He's heard about their steadfastness. He shares that common thing, 
that common bond, right? Of faith in God, faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. What a wonderful thing we have that too. He said, we said last week, remember we said that he had a deep concern for his brethren in Christ. Those he knew personally, those he didn't know personally, all those who are part of the kingdom. And remember we read 1 Corinthians 11 verse 1 where he said, you can imitate me. Be imitator of me as I am an imitator of Christ Jesus. And we talked about how in our lives, that's what we should be striving to do, right? We should be striving to be an imitator of Christ, and therefore we, we should be able to say, be an imitator of me, right? And hopefully we've done that. Hopefully we have been able to lead others, particularly maybe our children, particularly maybe a brother or sister, a parent, somebody in our family, and hopefully those around us that know us because of who we are, who we stand for, and the way we live our lives. That's that thing Paul talks about that's spiritual maturity. And therefore, it's worthy of emulation. Because as we mature spiritually, we become more like Jesus Christ, who should be emulated. Turn over to 2 Corinthians there, and let's read a couple verses from 2 Corinthians. Chapter 11, where Paul talks about his concern, not only for those in Colossae, but in other places. <clears throat> Particularly verse 28. 2 Corinthians eleven twenty eight. Besides the other things, what comes upon me daily is my deep concern for all the churches. Who is weak? And I am not weak. Who is made to stumble? And I not burn with indignation? If I must boast, I will boast in the things which concern my infirmity. The God and Father of your Lord Jesus Christ, who is blessed forever, knows that I am not lying. And then he goes on to talk about some things that happened to him. He had a concern for the brethren. Concern for those who have been become obedient Christians in the faith. Turn back to Colossians and look at look at chapter four there. I want to read something else. <clears throat> Starting in verse uh, twelve, Paul writes, "Epaphras, who is one of you, a bondservant of Christ, greets you, always laboring fervently for you in prayers." that you may stand perfect and complete in all the will of God. For I hear him witness that he, for I bear, for I bear him witness that he has a great zeal for you and those who are in Laodicea and those in Heropolis. Interesting how Paul talks about Epaphras has a great concern for them there. He's constantly in prayer on their behalf. Epaphras is, not Paul. So you see, it's not just Paul. We, we, can, we can kind of think, well, the apostles, that was their job. You know, that, they were to be the preachers of the gospel. They were the ones who were leading the Christians in the faith. They were the ones who had the sound doctrine that they were imparting daily. But it's not just them. Epaphras was doing it too. He's just a lowly servant. Working in the kingdom like Paul was. He had a concern for the brethren. He demonstrated his man of maturity that Paul talked about here, becoming perfect in God. Do we have such a concern for our brethren? A heart that is encouraged. The King James uses the word comforted, right? It's, it's, it is the will of God that we serve him with hearts full of comfort and encouragement. Well, wait a minute, what, what do you mean by that? What, what are you talking about? Well, look over in Luke, and let's look at a verse from there. 
book of Luke, and we're going to be jumping around a little bit. I know I say that every week, but probably a little bit more today than usual. Luke chapter uh, 21. In verse 34, he says, and this this is the Lord talking, but take heed to yourselves, lest your hearts be weighed down with carousing drunkenness and cares of this life, and that day come on you unexpectedly. For it will come as a snare on all those who dwell on the face of the whole earth. Watch therefore and pray always that you may be counted worthy to escape all these things that will come to pass and to stand before the Son of Man. It's easy to get snared by this world, right? Even though we become Christian, we obey, we grow, we can easily be taken back by the cares of this world, by the things of this world, right? Jesus says, beware, don't be weighed down by the cares of this world. Don't be concerned, don't get caught up in the sinfulness of this world. Turn over to 2 Timothy, and let's read a few verses from there. 2 Timothy verse, uh, chapter 4. Beginning in verse, uh, let's be, uh, verse 6. He says, For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. Finally there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day, and not to me only, but also all the who have loved his appearing. See, Paul is facing impending death there, yet he is confident, assured of where he's going, right? He's kept the faith. He's run the, he's run the race, right? He's been able to continue to grow, mature, become that perfect man in Christ Jesus. He's con- he, and therefore, by what he said in 1 Corinthians 11, 1, we can consider his example as a great example, right? We can imitate that. We can, he- we can he- set our hearts and minds to what he's done in his imitation of Jesus Christ. And not only his running the race, but also his concern for the brethren. You see, as I just said, we have a heart that's knit together in the kingdom, a heart that is common among all brethren in the church. That's one of the reasons we come together, right? We have that common bond, that common love that the world just doesn't understand. That the world thinks silly. How many times have you talked to someone about going to church? I, I go to the church and they just laugh. You ever done that? Well, we're having a thing Sunday night at, at 5.30. You need to be at the party. Well, I got to go to church. What? What do you mean go to church? Who goes to church? I've heard that before. And I'm not saying church, going to church is the thing, but that's part of it. We have that common bond. The most important thing amongst those even that we don't even know personally, that love, that heart that's knit together. Similarly experienced by a couple of guys back in the Old Testament. Turn, turn your Bibles back to 1 Samuel. And let's read something there. 
get back there. First Samuel 18. Let's read about something that's kind of interesting. This is kind of what we're talking about. First one. Now when he had finished speaking to Saul, the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David. And Jonathan loved him as his own soul. Saul took him that day and would not let him go to his father's house anymore. And then Jonathan and David made a covenant because he loved him as his own soul. And Jonathan took off the robe that was on him and gave it to David with his armor, even to his sword and his bow and his belt. Here we have David is jealous. I mean, uh, Saul's jealous of David, right? He's, he fears him. He thinks he's going to take his kingship, right? And here we have Saul's son, Jonathan, who with David are like brothers now. Even though they're not blood relatives, their souls were knit together. That's what we're talking about here. We're not blood relatives, but we have a heart that's knit together in our faith. So much so that we should have so much concern. Concern for each other just like our spouses, just like our families. And I know, I'm kind of preaching to the choir for most of you. I know you're, most folks here are going to do anything they can to help each other out. But that's how it should be. Paul showed us that. He's writing because of his great love for those at Colossae. The great love that, they, that, that he has for them because of their faith. Because of that heart that's knit together. Because of their souls that have been knit together. Just like David and Jonathan. You see, <clears throat> Paul had a full assurance of who he was. Of his understanding of the gospel that's similar to hearts that are encouraged. We need to have a strong assurance concerning ourselves and our salvation. You see, if we're going to have that great concern for our brethren, it kind of begins with our heart, right? It kind of begins with us. And if we can't have that assurance, if we don't have that maturity, if we don't have that constant growth in the faith, that steadfastness in the faith, Makes it kind of hard to have concern for each other, doesn't it? Of course, this assurance comes as we increase our understanding concerning the basis of salvation. Indeed, the Word of God was written to increase, and it is indeed a rich blessing we have in Christ Jesus. <clears throat> I know we've talked about assurance before, and, you know, I've heard people say, I don't know if I'm going to heaven or not. I'm not sure. Why not? Well, I struggle with this. Or, or I, I, I have sin. Well, of course you do. Of course you do. But that assurance comes through that growth, through that maturity. The more we obey, the more we show our love to each other, the more we serve, not just sitting in the pew, we grow. That's what it's all about. We're constantly in prayer, constantly in the Word, and we're putting ourselves in the service of the kingdom. That's how we grow. And eventually, you're going to know. Whether you may not write at this moment, I don't know. But because of that constant walk and that maturity, you have assurance. You will have assurance. 
what a wonderful thing to see someone lying on their deathbed knowing where they're going. It blew me away the first time I heard someone say coronation day. I knew someone was about to die. And he said, it's almost coronation day. He's going to get his crown. That was awesome to me. That was an awesome thing for me to hear. Blew me away. Someone can have that kind of faith on their deathbed. You know? But that's where we should all be. That's what Paul's talking about here. That maturity that we have such assurance that when we're sitting there on our deathbed, we have no fear. None whatsoever. That's the way it should be. You see, turn over to Ephesians chapter 3. Let's read something else Paul says here. Chapter 3, beginning in verse 2. Beware of dog. No, I'm sorry, I'm in Philip. Philippians, hold on. All right. Like I said, I had a lot of sleep last few days. Let's just start Ephesians chapter, verse, chapter 3, verse 1. For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, for you Gentiles, if indeed you have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God which was given to me for you, how that by revelation he made known to me the mystery as I have briefly written already, by which when you read, you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ, which in other ages was not made known to the sons of men, as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to his holy apostles and prophets, that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ through the gospel, of which I have become a minister according to the gift of the grace of God given to me by the affecting working working of his power. He says, we now know the mystery. We as Christians, as brethren, have this mystery that the world doesn't know about. That's a pretty cool thing. That's a pretty awesome thing. We, we know the mystery. Paul says, I know it. And it's all by what? The grace of God that he revealed that mystery to me, that the world didn't know. And when I read that in verse 8, Saint Colossians, what I say? He says, beware. Do not be ensnared by the things of this world. Because they don't know the mystery. They don't understand it. They think it's silly. They think it's stupid. And when someone gets rebuked or gets disfellowshipped because they're living a life that's not godly and the world thinks, says, well, that's not love, they don't get it. Because they don't know the mystery Paul's talking about here. A knowledge of the mystery of Christ. I've got an understanding of the gospel which once was hidden but has now been revealed. You see, a good knowledge of the gospel is essential to that maturity in Christ. Are we increasing in that knowledge? And think about that for a minute. Is this the only time you ever open the Bible when you're here on Sunday morning? I hope not. Are you in prayer about what you're reading when you read it? Are you humbled by it? See, that's all part of it. If the only time you ever read the Bible is right here in class, and maybe you need to rethink your spiritual growth a little bit. Maybe you need to rethink about your assurance. And I'm not being, trying to be negative there. I'm just saying 
That's how it works. Good order and steadfastness of faith, he said. The word order from this is the, the Greek word is taxis, a military term, suggestion of men marching in proper order and precision. Other words like a drill, a military drill, which I'm, I know many of you have participated in and many of you have seen, if not participated in it. And it's a pretty cool thing to see guys marching in lockstep, isn't it? Pretty amazing to see the formations and all that. Took work to get there, but it's an awesome thing, and that's what he's talking about here. Good order and steadfastness of faith. A constant marching forward, a constant growth, a constant service, a constant prayer life, a constant study life. Marching forward, growing, maturing, gaining that assurance that you know you will be saved in the end. The word steadfast is simply a word which goes right along with that idea of marching in a straight line. What is our life of faith like? Are we progressing in order? Are we steadfast in our faith? Or are we constantly wavering? We're all tempted, right? We're all tempted by something. Are you constantly giving in to temptation and then coming back and saying, ah, I can't keep doing this? And then two days later, you're back in it. And then you're back, I can't keep doing this. And on, and on, and on. It's a tough situation, isn't it? Especially if you really struggle with something, right? He's talking about moving forward. Constantly being in prayer. Constantly putting the Lord first. Wait a minute, I said Lord, right? You see, part of being spiritually mature... It's not just being saved by the Savior. It's also making Him Lord. Lord of our lives. Lord in the kingdom as He already is. And Paul says the Colossians had done this. Today many want Jesus as their Savior. Right? Sounds good to me. I don't want to go to hell. But then they haven't put Him on as their Lord. Right? See, that obedience thing is not just unto salvation. It's also to spiritual maturity. That spiritual growth that we need to be having. That is, they profess, they want him as their personal savior, but they don't do what he commands them to do. A good example might be something we read in Acts 2. You know, we know Acts 2.38, right? Very well. Repent ye and be baptized, everyone in your name of the Father and Son of the Holy Ghost, that you may receive the remission of sins. For, for your remission is that you may receive the Holy Spirit of the Holy Ghost. <clears throat> but let's look over there and see a couple of verses before that. In Acts 2. You see what, see what Peter had to say there. Begins 36. 236. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. It's not just the Christ part. He has to be Lord. Very scripture sound to say, you're going to be a slave to something, right? Which one's it going to be? You're going to be a slave to money? You're going to be a slave to sin? 
a slave to this world? Or are you going to be a slave to the Lord? That's what we're talking about here. That has to be done before you can become mature in Christ. It's not just the Savior part. Paul gives a good example. He says, having received Christ as Lord, we must now walk or live in Him. Verse 7 explains what it means to walk in Christ. Let's go back and look at that a minute. Just so you can remember what we said there. Colossians chapter 2. What did he say there? He says, <clears throat> let me start verse 6. As you therefore receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, as you have been taught, abounding in it with thanksgiving. He's talking about like a tree, right? You're rooted in him. You're taking your nourishment from that foundation that you've set up by becoming a Christian. And then you've been taught, right? You've been built up. You've been established. You've learned what it means, first of all, to be saved, and then to be, be a Christian, to be Christ-like. And then not only that, abounding in it with thanksgiving. Thanksgiving entails something, right? Like, we need, we, we need to be humble, right? I mean, it's not us. <laughs> we didn't do it. We're thankful that he's provided this for us. We can't do it. We can't do anything about it other than obey. He has saved us for his purposes. And what we're supposed to do is walk in him, rooted in him, built up in him, understanding what that salvation and that faith is, becoming more mature and Christ-like every day. Well taught, grounding in the teachings of Christ, and living by his word. Of course, Paul's an apostle. He had knowledge that was given to him through the Spirit. Right? He was able to impart that knowledge. They didn't have all the canon of Scripture at the time. But we have faith. We know that his letters came from God. Therefore, if his letters came from God, we need to be reading them, right? We need to be studying them. Not like we're doing now, but not just here. It should be something you're doing constantly. That's how you grow. That's how you become mature. You eat food every day, right? Some eat a little more than you need. Me included. But you've got to have it, or you're not going to grow. You're going to be wavering in and out, in and out. Not having that assurance. Wondering. I mean, you know, you pretty much know where you are. You know what your heart's like. Right? We must beware of the danger which would hinder our spiritual growth. So otherwise, in our zeal to grow, we can easily be misled by false doctrines, right? By promises of an easy route. And if we're not careful... That puts us to sleep, right? That kind of stunts our growth. 
sometimes we've got to have a little negative preaching to overcome that, right? Some guy, sometimes someone's got to step on our toes a little bit to wake us up. Sometimes we just need a little encouragement, right? And that's why we're here. Right? We're doing this together. In our next lesson, we're going to look at some of those false doctrines, some of those promises that give nothing of true value, right? But for the moment, we should be concerned with growing in spiritual maturity in Christ. You see, we got the mystery. Paul got it. He told the Gentiles about it. And now we have it because of what he wrote down. Yes, sir. Lukewarm. And he said he was going to spit them out of his mouth. Yeah. Read about that in Revelation. That's right. Laodicea had been hot at one time. As Paul mentions, the churches in that tri-state area. But they had grown cold, become lukewarm. Absolutely. We have to be aware of that. Absolutely. We have to be ready, steadfast, knowing the mystery, and being ready and willing to share that mystery for others in service in the kingdom. John 15, the Lord warns us of what will occur if we do not mature and bear fruit. Let's just turn over there and read what he said. John 15. <clears throat> Beginning in verse 1. He says, I am the, vine, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. He's warning of what can happen if you don't bear fruit. Abide in him. You've already been clean. But what he's told them, you already know about salvation. You've already taken that step, right? Most of you have. Maybe some of you haven't. And today's a good day to do that. But you have to continue to abide in him. You don't bear fruit. Pruning comes. You gardeners know how that works. How do we do this? How do we receive Christ as Lord? By doing what is said. Luke 6, the Father's will. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. It's simply said, right? It's simple to say, something that we've heard many times, maybe not so easy to practice, but we continue steadfast. It may not be so easy to go out and talk to someone, of course. It may not be so easy to deal with things in our lives, of course. But we continue steadfast. We continue to look ahead to the kingdom as Paul did as he was seeing his impending death. And be able to say 
I've run the good, I've run the race, fought the good fight. It's almost coronation day. Colossians 2, those verses 6 through 8, keep those in mind. Those are powerful verses. Do not be of the world. Be of the kingdom. I know, you know, when we're young, we want to conform. You know, teenagers, they start doing things, and we want to be part of that. And that's fine if it's okay, if it's a good thing. But there's a lot of stuff that's not. And it's easy to get caught up in it, right? Because we want to do what the world wants. You've been bought with a price. It's no longer you. Paul says, I want to present every man a mature, perfect man in Christ. That means every man has given up their lives for the kingdom, for Jesus. They've made Jesus their Lord, not only their Savior, but their Lord, their King. They are now enslaved by him. What's a slave do? Obeys the master. Simple as that. And if you're not feeling assured, if you're not sure where you're going today, where you're, if you're going to be with him in eternity, because like we said, remember, you're already in eternity now if you're a Christian. Your eternal life is started. You're in the flesh, and that's going to change. But you've got to continue to grow. You've got to continue to be in the Word prayer and service to each other and service to those of this world who are in need of a Savior and the Lord. If you're not doing that, time to start today. That's how it's done. It's simple as that. Get in the Word. Get down on your knees and look for something to do. You don't have to be some great preacher or teacher or song later you just got to be you and you've been given a talent God gives gifts to each and every one of us you may need to spend some time figuring out what that is and then get busy this life is short <clears throat> it's not going to last forever in the flesh but if we have that hope, that assurance that we're going to be with them better. What could matter? What else can matter? That's a wonderful thing, isn't it? That we don't have to worry about am I going to lose my job? Am I going to be healthy? Are my children going to be healthy? I'm close loved one with cancer. Are they going to make it? All those things are tough. But when we are mature in Christ, we know we have that assurance and that joy that passes all understanding. Okay, our time is up. Thanks for being here.